The other two were big hits. Home fries was I, a wonk wonk. I got it. Home fries? Okay. No. You have it on your list? Is that what you're saying? No. Let's do it. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yanis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. And this is Kai. On this episode, we're going to be traveling back 20 years to the year 1998. Um, basically, the situation here is, this weekend, there's not that much big coming out. I think we have the second weekend of Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. You can listen to our episode on that, where uh, Adam Barnard and myself broke that, that film down. Uh, but I think the big release this weekend is Sicario, Day of the Soldado. I didn't really hear particularly positive things on that. Uh, but I did go check out Ocean's 8, and I recommend that you all do the same. So instead, I was—I had this Kai and I were talking about, you know, old classic movies. I think we even watched Clueless the other day, and, and I just had the idea, of, well, you know, what we should do is 20 years, let's do like a 20 years uh, in the Wayback Machine. Let's go check out, you know, what movies did we like then? And if this, uh, you know, if this is fun for us and for you guys, maybe we'll do, you know, we'll revisit some of the other 90s, late late 90s uh, era of filmmaking. So, so um, I just start with, Kai, we should probably tell the people what we were up to in 1998, uh, because we're old now. So we were actually on this planet and, uh, you know, not wearing diapers or running around in elementary school somewhere so uh do you want to we start? actually just also had a birthday too we did have a birthday and we're not twins either we just have we just can incidentally <laughs> That's strange. Well, well you never know uh it's this is florida so it's the south so you never know what's going on here um but uh because we do have our birthdays pretty close together same year and everything which is a weird coincidence and which kai took a while to realize i think when we first started talking i guess Right. Yes. <laughs> you embarrassed? Okay. Right? Sorry. Okay. Okay. It didn't take that long. It took basically a couple months. I, I I thought Rob was older than me, as I couldn't believe that we actually had a birthday only five days apart. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, so you're turning, um, you know, 27. Or whatever. Like, no. Yeah. Or uh, no, you're turning 28. He's like, no, I'm like, turning 27. Like, oh, it's like me. Me too. Yeah. So, so pretty cool. So in 1998, what were what were you? I guess you up to, and then I mean, we were in pretty much the same place in life since we we're the exact same age. But um, well, I was in I was a freshman year in high school the summer. Of, well, I guess I just ended my freshman year of high school in the summer of '98, and uh, about to enter sophomore year. Yeah, same here. And where were you? You know, I was in the same city I am now, and I think you were uh, somewhere else, but. Yeah, just pretty much in Florida, doing our high school thing and living our lives, and uh, yeah, so that's what we were doing 20 years ago. And you know, it's notable that '97, the year before this, was the year that I really got hardcore into movies, where I started like following the box office and actually caring about the Oscars and that kind of thing. So '98 is like just you know still my uh, cinephile infancy, I guess. Yeah, and it was also you know when you're. A- a freshman slash sophomore sophomore in high school it's also challenging to get to see as many movies as you get to see when you're more of an adult because restrictions on the, the age to, to enter a movie theater and restrictions on money well i mean there's that i also but i feel like you have more time it's always like um what is that that's this really great infographic that's you see on social media all the time where it's like when you're young you have 
you know, you have lots of time, but you don't have money. And uh, when you get older, you have more money, but you don't have any time. And and it's like the, you know, the constant dilemma of, oh, I just can't seem um, to make this work. To, no, to get oh, no, done. you forgot the other one. There's energy. another one I forgot. Energy. Oh, yeah, energy. And then when you get like older, you have all this time and all this money, but you have no energy. Right, exactly. So yeah. how come we don't have energy or time right now? Oh, I mean, well. we have a toddler, so that doesn't help. Yeah. And uh, that's where a lot of our money goes to. Right. So <laughs> right. Well, I mean, um, I think a lot of people actually, when they're in high school and they don't, and they have more time, it's easier for them to, plus movie tickets were not as expensive. I think in 98, I went to see, like you could see a, uh, not a matinee, but like the, you know. Between, an evening movie for like five bucks. Yeah. But like the, the, like between four and six or whatever, like that, you know what I mean? I guess those are matinees, but you can see like at a certain period of time, it was like, oh, cheaper tickets. It was like four fifty, I think. And some, or maybe because it was also we were u- utilizing the student pricing, which, student admission, which they don't too. do anymore. So I think, I think that, AMC, at least, I thought they had like one week a day a week or something that they really Yeah, that. but that was like 10 years ago. Yeah, but even like, like it, at, at that time, like movie, like the highest price was like seven bucks. And now it's like especially with IMAX 3D and uh, Dolby and stuff. Oh, $20 for a movie ticket. Like, get the fuck out of here. Right. And it also depends on the state that you live in because right. obviously in New York, California, they're going to be exactly. more expensive. But but I guess for me, it's also I, um, I, I didn't see as many movies, one, because of the money thing, and also because my friends didn't really want to see movies. We, won't, we went to the mall a lot, but it wasn't we didn't go to see movies. It was just they to had a movie walk around. There, just, yeah. You guys were well, mal- actually the movie theater that I, when I used to live in the Orlando area, there was a movie theater called, uh, it's like the UC seven Plaza. And they had, it was right near, um, where the university is, but they have since closed it down, but it was a regal cinemas. And that's where everybody hang out, hung out on like a Friday and Saturday night. And so the movie theater, and then they had these like restaurants that all of us kids could go to. And it was fun. But uh, yeah, it's changed a lot. Yeah. Yeah, well, 20 years, a lot has changed in yeah. 20 minutes yeah. these days. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's what we were a little, what we were up to. I was getting hardcore into movies, and Kai was walking around the mall, being yeah, a mall right. rat with her friends. Going to so Wet Seal? Oh, God, I remember that store. I mean, yeah, I didn't shop the there, but I remember seeing it. Oh, uh, the yeah. Limited, your recently dearly departed Limited. Yes, so. I know. That one stayed for a long time. So, I guess... So for this, we're coming from, as you can tell just from this intro, we're coming from a very nostalgic lens. So I think we both independently sort of decided that we were basing our top fives probably more on our personal favorites than necessarily the, quote, best. And I know for me, embarrassingly, there's actually a lot of movies that came out. And obviously, we're talking about movies that were released in 98, not you know, we could have seen them last year, but it was released in 98. It's <laughs> valid for this uh, for this list. But, um, you know, I, there's a lot of movies back from 98 that I haven't, still haven't seen, like critically acclaimed ones that I just never caught up with, I've always been meaning to, and it's, you know, I'm always trying to keep up with what's coming next and not necessarily setting aside enough time to go back and be like, oh, you know what, I should go back and watch Elizabeth or, uh, you know, I don't know, Rushmore, which I still haven't, I'm a little behind on all the Wes Anderson stuff. Um, that was 98? Yeah, that was 98, but... I, Oh. Yeah, that was the first time I heard about Jason Schwartzman. Before he was in Scott Pilgrim. It's a little tease to what I hope to make an upcoming episode in the near future. And, um, you know, or there's movies that came out in 98 that were huge deals that I haven't, that I may have saw, 
I may have seen like around that time or soon after on video, like Saving Private Ryan, which is a great movie, but I haven't really, I didn't get a chance to revisit it for this list. And I haven't, I don't have recollected well enough to, to, you know, confidently put it amongst my fav- five favorite movies of that year. So did you have a little, is, is that kind of the same for you with a lot of, as you're going through the list where you're like, oh shit, I haven't seen a lot of these or, or you've seen them, but you don't remember them really, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Like it's funny because the the movies on the list that we're going to talk about on my end and then you're, on my end, I think I did see these movies like pretty much the year they did come out. Mm-hmm. But there was some like Halloween H two O. Oh, I saw. I saw the. I vividly remember when I saw that in the movie theater. Uh, but that's. I mean, that's not on the list. <laughs> it's not a very good movie. And I think we saw the one recently, didn't we? Because yes. we were doing a Halloween. I think we even mentioned it on on the podcast back like a couple of years ago or whenever. Because we watched Halloween, Halloween two, and then Halloween H two O. Because they're sort of you know they're all the Jimmy Lee Curtis ones really. And then uh, she's coming back in this fall for the new Halloween movie. That's gonna like it's gonna be a direct sequel to the original. So it's forgetting two through two through eight or however many sequels there are. Um, and just kind of picking up from there. So that should be interesting. I know you don't want to see that in theaters or possibly at all because you're mm. not into horror movies, but uh, I'll definitely check that out. I know a lot of people are, are uh, cautiously optimistic on that. So that's sort of, I guess, where we were coming from as far as our ranking and as far as you know, uh, kind of reviewing the list. So here's one thing, one question that we didn't settle before I hit record on this. Do we, If we have overlapping... Um, it, rather than us talk about the movies twice, like if I say number five, like I think I'm pretty sure my number five is on your list too. If I say number five and you also have it, just tell me it's on your list and I'll be, and we'll hold it until we get to your entry. Do you want to do that? Yeah. Rather than yeah. just, oh, ditto. We already talked, you know, that kind of thing. Right, yeah, I agree. Um, so, okay, so I guess let's just jump into it. This is going to be a actual normal length episode, not one of our famous like two hours <coughs> Infinity War. Um, so for number five, uh, I definitely wanted to get a like straight up comedy on this list. And there were a few that I was looking at, but ultimately I, I kind of had to settle on. There's something about Mary. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I <laughs> thought about that one. Oh, it didn't but... even make your list. I'm surprised. Mm, I, because I, it, it was pretty high up on the list for box office mojo for that year. Oh yeah. And yes. I, and we both own it, but I don't know. Like, I, didn't I have mixed feelings much. about that movie. Well, okay. Like, I like it, Let's but I also think about it's it, gross. I well, yeah, I like it, but I also think it's gross and sort of a little overrated. Um, and I also also didn't even see it for the first time until two thousand three, two thousand four, which is funny because considering you know I was telling you I'm, we were freshman, sophomore, high school, basically. I had um, the kids I was in acting class with. Yes, I was in drama. Um, that explains a lot about our marriage <laughs> and our personal life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the kids in drama class would improv were improving scenes for that movie. They're like my age. This is a rated R movie. I don't I don't know who. I mean, maybe their moms took them or they went with friends that were older. They I don't know. Bought a ticket for you know whatever kids movie was out at the time. We're like, oh, we're gonna go see this you know Disney movie, and then whoop, right in the other side. Maybe, but yeah. So they had kind of already saw it, and I I don't know. I didn't. But when did you when did you first see it? I saw it on uh, home video, I think, on DVD and that kind of thing. Were you uh, like old enough to see it? I mean, I not mean, like that really not matters really. in We're my the life. Same age, movies, but I mean, old enough is a loaded term. I mean, I was 
what, 14, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess almost 15, because it came out in the summer. I don't remember exactly what date. I have the thing up here. Yeah, I don't even know. Uh, July 15th. I, so I, I was, was watching, I was watching just, bad movies when I was like 11. So, so we, had just, we had just turned 15 when this came out, and it was obviously, number. it's actually I have the box office mojo, number three that year behind Saving Private Ryan and Armageddon. And because um, it was a hugely phenomenal, like phenomenon that year, and I don't even like the Fairly Brothers. That's the crazy thing of why, of of this making my list because I've seen several of their other movies, and I don't really care for any of them, including Dumb and Dumber, including Kingpin, and uh, me myself and Irene. Even though I love Jim Carrey, I don't... but yet I like Kingpin sometimes more than There's Something About Mary. That's interesting. Which is which is weird because that was ninety six. Yeah. Yeah. So something about Mary, I, I don't know. I think it's really funny. I think um, there's great performances in there from Ben Stiller. Matt, Matt Dillon is kind of the scene stealer of that whole movie. And so much of that film is just ingrained in my mind. Like the ridiculous, uh, obviously the thing with the her hair and the, the fight with the dog. And, um, you know, being in high school at the time, we were obviously really deeply entrenched into MTV. And so I remember this movie kind of sweeping a lot of the MTV movie awards with best fight. I feel like it might've either won or been nominated at least for best movie. Um, and I don't know. And the fact that all the gross humor, which is not, uh, not normally really my thing. I like, I much prefer silly movies than like gross in your face movies which is why I like Scary Movie 3 better than Scary Movie 1, for example. Um, there's also, there's kind of a heart to this film in a way. I mean, it's all, it's, if you, if you look at it from the objective of, you know, 2018's, you know, uh, woke mo- movement, I guess, it's also kind of jacked up that all these guys are just obsessed with this, they're all kind of like sexual har- sexually harassing this woman in a way. So from, from that perspective, it's a really uh, problematic story, I guess. But in looking at these films in sort of a time capsule way, there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of scenes and things about that film that are um, shocking, but also sort of impactful emotionally in the, in the same kind of way. You know, it ultimately does have uh, you know the way they they marketed it was oh you know caution a love story from the guys who brought you Dumb and Dumber or whatever. And and I you know I I really like romantic comedies actually you know one of my um, one of my honorable mentions probably was You've Got Mail, because I do like that film a lot, and I've seen that a million times with my mom. So and I, I really wanted to sneak a comedy on this list, and believe it or not, I didn't really see that many really great straight-up comedies um, this year. Uh, Shakespeare in Love I, I liked a lot, but it didn't really make my top five. Um, Wedding Singer was like right, like vying for the number five spot with uh, something about Mary. Rush Hour was a was a great one, but ultimately I don't think has aged as well for me. So, yeah, so there's a little bit of justification for why I'm putting it on this list. Yeah, you have a lot of movies that you saw in 98. I, yeah, I've seen a lot of these. There's, like, there's still some that I'm a little ashamed that I haven't caught up with, but yeah, for the top 100 here, I've probably seen... Yeah, I've probably seen three quarters of them, if not more. Wow. So, That's uh, really good. So what about you for your number five? All right. I'm going to get some crap from you oh, and from the podcast world, but uh, Urban Legend. Oh, God. <laughs> and this why? is even a movie. This is even a movie that I wanted you to see when we, we got together. And the ending kind of goes off the rails a little bit, but I don't know. I just thought that was like a really interesting plot that mm-hmm. they take Urban Legends and then they made like a kind of a serial killer out of it. And kind of the justification for it. I, and I liked it. And at the time, these are all the hot 
upcoming actors, you know, with Joshua Jackson. Um, she doesn't really do acting anymore, but Robert Wagner's daughter, Natasha Gregson Wagner, was oh. in the beginning of the movie. Um, and that, the late, the redhead that I don't even remember her name. It's not, been it's, in not, stuff. it's not Rebecca Gayhart, is it? Rebecca Gayhart was in it, yes. But, um, but that's not the redhead that you're talking about. No, that's not the redhead I was talking about. I don't think she's a redhead. She's a brunette with curly hair. Oh, uh, okay. But no, the redhead, I don't remember the redhead's name. And then... Alicia Witt, right? Alicia Witt, yes. I just looked it up. And I think Jared Leto was in this movie, yeah, too. Yeah, his name came up. I just looked it up. He's, oh, I see his face on the poster. Yeah, and he was so, still super cute because he was coming um, coming off of... It was still around the same time of My So-Called Life, like a th- only oh, a few years later. Michael Rosenbaum was in that. I forgot. Yeah, that. okay. Yeah, him too. Uh, so I don't know. It's just something about this movie. Like, I saw it on the list. and I was like, oh, Urban Legend. And that's one of the ones I actually recommended for you. So... I feel like just because of that, I had to add it as nostalgic my, pick. Yeah, my number five. Squeezing it's it just in. Fun. I never it saw the, the list. Se- yeah, yeah. I never saw the sequels, if or sequel. I don't know. I don't know how many they, they had. had. At least, uh, at least two sequels. I think. I feel like there's Urban Legends, and is that the one that's like subtitled Final Cut or something? I think. Oh yeah, maybe. Yeah. So I just because it's like the only. I mean, I like Scream too, but it's like the only scary movie that I've watched multiple times yes see i didn't get a straight up horror movie on here the next one i'm going to mention is has elements of horror but uh i really like to see if i would i would have gone with the faculty if i was going for the teen horror movie we just talked about that recently came up in conversation yeah i know yeah i just also haven't seen i just also didn't see a lot of movies in 98 uh, because i was going to the mall going shopping that's true you were walking around not buying movie tickets bride of chucky came out that year a lot of people liked that movie didn't see it yeah i don't eh, i didn't care for it it's uh, i have maybe need to revisit it through a uh, more mature lens which is ironic that talking about that movie like you know that adulthood would benefit it um okay so number five for you urban legends for me number four uh the original blade i you know this is very on brand i know but uh obviously people listen to this podcast know that i'm a big fan of superhero movies Marvel, DC, etc. And this was, well, this was the first Marvel movie, I think, to be released theatrically, I think, because there was a lot of, um, there's a, obviously the Hulk, T- Incredible Hulk TV show, there was the, like, sort of B-movie, direct-to-video, whatever, of, like, Punisher and um, Fantastic Four and things like that, but this is the first Marvel movie to establish, hey, did you know superhero movies could be a thing on the big screen? Um and I think it, in a way, X Men kind of steals a lot of the credit. And I've, I've mentioned this either on podcast before or elsewhere on the website or other things I've written. Uh, X Men kind of steals the credit for proving, hey, did you know Marvel Comics could be a thing on the big screen? Maybe we should make you know a whole cinematic universe of this. And Blade was really the first one to treat it seriously. It doesn't. It doesn't. Um, you know, before this, this is remember this is coming out a year after Batman and Robin. And three years uh, after yeah. Batman Forever, so it was like comic book movies were very campy and and not really, uh, you know, this was probably one of the first superheroes to basically, you know, their solution was, hey, let's put him in, in leather, in like a leather coat and have him like shooting guns and stuff. Actually, a year before The Matrix, too. So then I feel like Blade was massively influential on not only superhero cinema, but uh, kind of horror films in a way. This predates Underworld. And uh, that whole look where it's basically Kate Beckinsale wearing a long leather coat shooting creatures in the night and she's a vampire. So it's very similar. Like, if you trace it back, Blade is directed by Stephen Norrington. 
had a had a, a huge influence on the next like 10 15 20 years whatever of um of filmmaking action horror and uh, comic book based um plus you know i think wesley snipes was perfectly cast in fact you know every once in a while you'll see an article where somebody will say wesley snipes is down to return as for blade four and i even though he's like mid 50s by now i would love to see that i think he could still rock it and uh you know whether it's a netflix show or another movie i think he would be a, a lot of fun back in that role he has that he has just the right balance of sort of uh dry wit on, on occasion and like stoicism and obviously the uh the physical prowess to pull off that character um i also like blade 2 a lot but i feel like blade 1 just i don't know something about that movie really hit with me i also really like steven dorf as the villain um i think deacon frost is probably one of the more underrated comic book villains out there and uh you know even though the third blade movie kind of killed the franchise they still hold this the first two especially the first one in a way uh in high esteem and you hadn't seen this until i showed it to you right no i did not what did yeah, you what no. did you think of what are your thoughts on blade yeah i thought um, i thought it was fun and you're absolutely right i think that it was a predecessor for you know the matrix and and all that and i liked I think that was this may have been the last movie Stephen Dorff was in, and I liked him in the role as well as yeah. Deacon Frost. And Deacon Deacon is a great villain name. It is. Um, it is. So just keep that in mind. Anybody that wants to name your son Deacon, or don't name your son Damien either, because I think the omen is still a thing. Well, Urban Legend, the character's name was Damon, and sometimes I think that Alicia Witt would say Damien. I'm like, I don't think that's no, not Damien. It's Damon. But <laughs> um, you know, Blake Blake was fun. I just. If he does do Blade Four, I hope he doesn't call it in again, like well, the rumor said about Blade, Blade, Blade Trinity. Three. Blade Trinity was, yeah, obviously, you know, people can look that up. It was, it was a very uh, troubled production. I think with that, I think he was very bitter about the fact that the studio and uh, and you know the director who actually wrote all three movies, David S. Goyer, he also did Man of Steel, some of the screenwriting on that, and the Dark Knight movie. So he's always he has his hands in all kinds of comic book properties. Um, they were introducing Ryan Reynolds, Jessica Biel, as sort of stealing a lot of Blade's thunder, and I think that's part of why the movie suffers. Wesley Snipes is sort of disconnected, and the movie doesn't really know 100% what it's trying to be. Plus, it's funny yeah. that we've been talking that I've been, you know, we talked earlier on the podcast a few weeks ago about Josie and the Pussycats and Parker Posey's in that movie. It's sort of another like shrill kind of villain, but uh, you haven't seen the third one. We'll we'll get there at some point. Uh, but Blade well, maybe, but maybe with uh, Wesley Snipes, maybe he's more humble since his his jail time, and um, yeah. it, maybe he really does want to get back into acting. And, and, it, and it's by far his most famous role. I mean, it's the only really franchise one he's had. True. So but he's also in White Man Can't Jump. I still need to see that. That's again early '90s. I a lot of that I have to catch up with. So what's your number four? Um, so you were talking about superheroes, and I I would consider this a superhero movie in its own way mask of zaro okay we'll talk about that later okay uh, all right oh wow i wonder how okay i didn't curious think, how high this is i didn't think uh i didn't think you would have that on your list actually for some reason i could see that because i yeah. you know it's did you for well before we'll get more into mask of zaro in a little while but when did you uh when did you did you see that in theaters or did you see that when i showed it to you no i saw it um i was in I guess it was in summer school right before I turned 16 that 
it was geometry and my geometry teacher decided to basically stop teaching us the last month of the summer school session nice. and he just basically brought in movies the rest of the time and one of the movies was Mask of Zorro. Everyone's favorite kind of teacher. Exactly. <laughs> so um, that's when I saw it. Nice. Very good. All right, we'll get to that later. So my number three, I actually have The Prince of Egypt. Oh, okay. And for a while, when this film came out, I think this was probably would have been a little higher on my list. Um, and the funny thing is that I'm not really religious, and it's obviously based on a biblical story. But even if you take us take away, you know, if you if you're um, if you're religious and you know you're a Christian and or even if you're Jewish, you know, because the story touches base with both, obviously, um, that you know, the film might resonate with you on a whole other whole other level. But for me. Um, even if you take just take it as pure fantasy or whatever just a great story um, the animation I think this was in the like the last few years of hand-drawn animation sort of as the standard um, the animation is really beautifully rendered um, the characters are very stylized very angular which gives it a very distinct look and the voice cast is amazing you have um, Val Kilmer as Moses and Ray Fiennes as Ramsey, Ramses, and then you have uh, you know Michelle Pfeiffer, Sandra Bullock, Jeff Goldblum, um, Danny Glover, Patrick Stewart, Helen Mirren, Steve Martin, Martin Short. There's like a bunch of really great actors in there, and the um, the music is amazing. Like I used to listen to this. I had I still have the soundtrack, and I used to listen to it quite a bit. It's very uh, it's very powerful, just as like a, a story of a family um, sort of that came together just by pure fate that Moses is landing baby Moses landing in uh, you know in the palace in his little basket sent out by his mother so he could survive and and the relationship between the two brothers and how uh, Moses is calling basically drives a wedge between them and makes enemies of the two of them just it's just some it's an amazingly it's a it's an amazing story for a lot, a lot of reasons but um, it's just beautifully told in this movie and just you know it's one of those films that really connects with me um as a movie in a you know in addition to how it may resonate with other people you know as far as the religious side of it i think it's just it's just a uh you know high watermark for standard hand-drawn animation especially for this like last gasp that it had before cg kind of took over and what production studio was that one that's dreamworks dreamworks okay and it was the same year that they had ants which i also like um, there's actually there's a, there was a bunch of animated films that I considered for this list. I also really like uh, A Bug's Life. I also very nearly put Mulan in here in this top five because I do like that quite a bit as well. Um, but Prince of Egypt just to me it felt like the standout animated film of '98. So I showed you this one as well, didn't I? Yes, you did. Yeah. What do you? It was th- a couple years ago now. I remember because I was I brought this up with my mom and sister soon after we saw it like uh, i guess it was to prove a point about something i don't know but i remember talking about it okay what did you think about prince of egypt um i liked it i liked it i i had reservations about us watching it because kind of what you said i'm i'm not very religious and but um i didn't really know the story about moses right and i and yeah and i think it was definitely interesting and it was kind of more kind of feel like it was more metaphorical than just a documentary right you know an animated documentary it had more like higher purpose than that well it's also 
you know, and this is kind of goes with most religious stories. It's like if you want to believe them as fact, and you're like, "Yep, this is how it happened. This is historical document." Like to reference Galaxy Quest, I guess with historical documents, um, you know, whether you take it as fact or not, it's really supposed to be sort of an allegory, teaching you a lesson, or like, you know, uh, trying to come get across some form of moral. They're all really fables in a way. Whether you believe in them or not, if you don't believe in them, you can view them as fables. If you believe that they really happened, then, you know, that's that just, that kind of, uh, just the cherry on top, I guess, of the story that's trying to be told. That makes sense. Yes. So, okay, cool. So, you're number three? Um, you had mentioned this is an honorable mention, but my number three would be The Wedding Singer. Not a surprise. And, is a Jubilee yeah. movie mm-hmm. there? And I think I didn't appreciate this movie until years after it came out like after subsequent viewings of it um you know because i definitely wanted to see it because i'm a girl to bury more um and i don't think i actually even saw it movie theaters now they think about it um but yeah no it's just a really cute movie and we were actually even quoted it today this morning we did what for um we're talking about the, the the jar with money oh yes we did and I, we were watching, we watched Happy Gilmore last recently, week, yeah. recently, and um, I was saying that I kind of forget that The Wedding Singer is an Adam Sandler movie, because it's so different than the typical roles that he plays, and um, I think that that was really the only movie that Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler worked so well in, and I, I like Fifty First Dates, too, but... Yeah, um, it's fine. Uh, but, yeah, The Wedding Singer is just a really cute movie, and I remember Drew Barrymore even said in her in an interview that that was Julia was was the type of person that she would she would have loved to have been mm-hmm. um so yeah, it's just and it's just a cute movie it's got good it's got good quotes um um a sweet plot and the soundtrack was awesome I remember they even had like a deluxe soundtrack they had like two soundtracks or something yeah they did you know we were I don't know if why I think because we were talking about probably because we were talking about this the other day but I actually went and they have both of the soundtracks on Spotify so I'll probably listen to those one of these days while I'm doing work or something um, and yeah because and the interesting thing too is that since this came out in 98 and it was set in I think 85 it's very it's, it's I feel like it was one of the first movies to be like hey we're set in the 80s look at all the 80s stuff it's like I want my MTV and then like the kids making a Freddy Krueger reference and all the songs and it's wearing the you know the 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 uh, Michael Jackson glove and you know everything is just like 80s pop culture references just like non-stop interwoven with, with you know Adam Sandler actually playing a normal sort of in air quotes normal human being not a like ludicrous like man child like he basically plays 95 percent of the time he does a uh, billy madison happy gilmore riff just what if billy madison was you know a lawyer or like was you know watching a kid big daddy or um what if he was the son of satan or whatever i don't know it's just he kind of plays a lot of the same characters and i feel like robbie hart is very much an exception when it comes to his comedic work. I know he's done like Spanglish and uh, Punch Drunk Love and things like that, but it's it's like it is an Adam Sandler movie because it has some of his people in it that he worked with a lot, like Steve Buscemi and uh, Alan Covert and things like that. But it's also not because of what you you know because of what you, the Drew Barrymore factor and the fact that uh, he shows more a more vulnerable side of himself and uh, just it's just a really sweet love story and it's actually one that. 
I, I've told you this before, I think, that really kind of influenced like this that, this that long running project that I've been working on creatively, uh-huh. and it's sort of influenced that dynamic a little bit. Though these two people are not together, they're in these other bad situations, and they need to find their way to each other. And um, you know, even though it even though that movie sort of falls into a lot of the romantic comedy tropes of oh, he's got to run, rush, rush to the airport to go and, and find her and declare his love and all that crap it's follows a lot of it's very formulaic in some ways but i don't know if it's the performances or the music or just the way everything's done but it does it's you know that that whole climax with billy idol on the plane and where he sings grow old with you that's just really it's just really sweet and uh yeah good choice like i said almost almost made my list thank you it was like five and a half on my list i i really did think it was be on your list but i i um I also like the fact that Drew Barrymore, as I've said to you before, is the one that got Adam Sandler on on the project because she likes right. the script and she wanted to produce it and like really wanted to work with Adam Sandler. So they chased him down um, to to get him on the on the movie. I wonder what movie they saw. What movie of his they they saw him capable um, of? This it kind was of not a movie. It was um, it was Tamara, to Tamara Davis who directed. Uh, gun crazy that drew Barrymore was in had worked with adam sandler in the past and she probably told me this a, it sounds familiar yeah probably did was such it was you know such as she said he was such a sweet good person and i guess you know and drew loves humor and everything so right i don't yeah. cool okay good 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 pick thank uh, you okay so and yeah part of the reason i didn't pick it for my list i think where i was like oh, let me do this instead is that i i knew you'd have it on there so i was like well let's let, let's try and minimize overlaps um so number two is uh, the Truman Show. We were talking about this recently because I, you know, we were out of town in a hotel and I'm flipping around and Truman Show was on and it was the the one scene where he takes Laura Linney and he tries to like leave town, like going past like a, the uh, barricades and all that stuff. And um, I think this film we were talking about this recently. This would be a good one to and I, oh, this is how the conversation about this podcast started. We were talking about that and how I was saying to you how relevant it is with now where everybody has a, a camera in their pocket and everybody's like oh waking up eat my bowl of cereal living my life facebook and live or whatever and uh it did you know that this kind of takes that concept and blows it out to the extreme but this was 20 years ago this was before facebook this was before myspace and uh and how relevant that was and that this would be a good film to go back and talk about even doing a commentary or you don't have this on your list right before i keep going on about it no i did not okay good <laughs> this would be a good movie to go back and do an episode on kind of a retrospective and then i expanded that out to oh why don't we just do our top whatever of 98 and that's that's how we got to this episode so that's the Truman true. show started the whole conversation about let's just rank our movies from back in that year but uh, i think it's one of jim carrey's uh, it might be jim carrey's best performance uh, thus far well, he definitely got career. a golden globe right he got a golden globe he won a golden globe for this and then he won a golden globe for a man on the moon the following year and then yeah he said he was a t- becoming the tom hanks of the golden globes yeah and then lost the third one for who's nominated for grinch uh and lost it to uh george clooney for oh brother where art thou uh mm-hmm. but i think the Truman show is a perfect balance of what he can do as a dramatic actor but still has those moments where he sort of gets wild and crazy and uh kind of gets has has like flare-ups of his sort of out of control rubber face thing that he still does but uh kind of recontextualizes that and he plays kind of a very sad sort of like uh repressed character <clears throat> and in that way i think it, the whole movie feels very metaphorical um 
been that the, the film is about him trying to break out of of that the the world that's he's sort of stuck in break out of himself and kind of seek uh i didn't, i just come off came off with this off the top of my head but seek like uh happiness from the outside world and like get out of his comfort zone that kind of thing <clears throat> and in that way it sort of feels also like a natural extension of him playing stanley ipkiss in the mask a few years earlier so truman show thoughts um, I, I, I like the Truman Show, okay? I've actually only seen it a couple times, and this was a movie I saw in the movie theater. It was, I saw it with my dad, and we had this, me and my dad had this this tradition of every every year that there was a Jim Carrey movie, we'd see the movie theater together, and this was one of those ones. And um, I think when I was that age, I, I didn't get it. Like, I don't know. I, it's not like it's a hard movie to figure out, but I had questions, and it just didn't really leave like a, a lasting impression on me and then I've seen it you know I've seen it again since and yeah yeah it's a good it's a good film I um clearly uh it's not on my list but um when was good. the last time when did we watch it together was it oh I don't know I feel like we were on this like Jim Carrey kick for a well, while I'm on a, like I'm, Ace Ventura and he, um, The Mask and I'm in, Liar and <laughs> I'm eternally on a Jim Carrey kick I know so. it's great no, I, I almost I threatened to put on Ace Ventura When Nature Calls the other day which is not a high know. point of his career and I'll probably we'll probably watch that together at some point but uh, I think I just like Liar Liar better oh yeah and I, that was a year before yeah yeah uh, well that's I a mean, straight I comedy what, this is like yeah it's a different kind of movie and I know that I know that it, you know it makes sense that he won the Golden Globe for this and not taking anything away from his his performance or the plot but um yeah i mean i think right now i think now in this day and age yes that movie has has ideas in it that are definitely very um pertinent now but i don't know i just uh i just don't like it as much as i should i can see that it's i wonder how you if you saw it now that you might appreciate it more coming from it coming to it from a different perspective you know, and it's interesting because it's from directed by Peter Weir, the guy that did Dead Poet Society, which is another movie I love. So um, I think I still think Liar Liar is his is Jim Carrey's best comedic, like straight up comedic performance. But what I think why I think the Truman Show is special is because it finds that it finds a way to blend that with the, his more dramatic sensibility. Uh, and it's actually in the top two fifty. It's one one ninety eight on IMDb uh, top rated movies. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah, that's not surprising. Well, it was pretty high up on Box Office Mojo. I mean, there was that time that Jim Carrey, his all his movies were blockbusters. Yeah. And that's why he was in 20 million for each yeah, role he was doing. It was number 12 in box office like box office wise that year, which is kind of crazy considering it like almost made as much as Lethal Weapon 4 that it, you know, Truman Show is not a what you would think a typical box office like draw is it's not a blockbuster film really but it was jim that. carrey but it was and jim he carrey. was able to bring people to seats and that is an actual that as you know this is an actual summer release i think it came out what july yeah. july something i have it up here june 5th oh that's right june 5th okay yep yeah. so it was an actual summer summer movie yeah crazy great movie uh what's your number two Okay, I'm sure this is no surprise for you, but my number two is Ever After. And I actually, this was one of the last ones I added. I thought it was going to be number one, actually. uh, I didn't want to, like, have, like, call these Drew Barrymore movies, but she, 98 was a a good movie, good good film year for her. She had three movies, like we talked about earlier. One we're not talking uh, about. Right, one we're not talking about that. I think I tried to watch it and I was bored or something. I don't know. But uh, Ever After, this one I saw the movie here. In fact, I think I even tried to see it at a, um, at the the Thursday night screening, 
but it was, yeah, but I don't think I got a chance to or something like that. Maybe I couldn't find a ride, but, um, yeah, I, I learned, I read a lot about this movie uh, before I even saw it. And this, I think it's a really great modern tale of Cinderella and kind of very, what very about, empowering. Very what about feminist. the Hillary Duff movie? I didn't see that movie. <laughs> okay. I don't know. It's, it's like a very, modern Cinderella it's, thing. It's just very feminist to me in a time when feminism, modern feminism wasn't happening. And um, I just think it's a beautiful story. It's great. Beautiful cinematography. I like how they interwove um, Leonardo da Vinci in the story. And the, I really like the soundtrack. Um, that's how I got into Robert Miles, actually. Because he was, they actually sampled from the trailer Robert Miles. So, called a, uh, Dreamland or something is the name of the album. Hmm. But it's like a very like oh, instrumental. Yeah. It's an yeah, instrumental. Yeah. So, you guys are interested I remember in that she's, she's got the dress on and she's like, just breathe. And that's yeah, the trailer. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so, if you guys like that soundtrack, that's, that's really, he's really the one that they sampled it from. So, um, what about An- just, Angelica Houston? Yeah, and Angelica Houston was great. And one of the things I remember reading was that scene in the garden when she's like, oh, how could I like, love a pebble in my shoe? Um, that scene was really hard for them to do because they really had found a, an admiration and respect for one another during filming. And both come from, you know, Houston, um, you know, um, Hollywood dynasties, yeah. Yeah. That's true. So, yeah, and... Um, I always and forget the sisters that that's... were fun, and I like that it's one of the sisters was nice, and that oh, and people still quote that. They say, "Oh, I'm just here for the food." Like people still say that line. That's true. Uh, you remember what's what, what? Sort of. I oh, I've yeah. seen this. I saw this once before we met, and then I so you know you showed it to me, and I think have we only seen it the one time together. We've only seen it the one time. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good movie to introduce our daughter to at some point. Oh, for sure. Um, I always forget that Do Gray Scott is in that movie. The guy from uh, the villain from Mission Impossible Two, who was supposed to play Wolverine. I always forget that he's in that, and he plays the prince, I believe. Yeah, Prince Henry. Yeah. Um, I even, yeah, I think it might have been in one of his first, one of his first big like roles. Hollywood movies, at least. Yeah. Yeah, I even had the poster in my bedroom. Aw, do you have the soundtrack to this too? Um, I got the soundtrack, and I was disappointed because they didn't have the that songs from the, the trailer. trailer. So then I found out about it. Right. Um, oh yeah, yeah. My my junior year. Of, in my you know, my end of my sophomore year and i was like oh my god it's the song and then that's how i found robert miles <laughs> no it's a good movie so. and i think it's interesting how uh you know i think you could tell that the mission statement here was we're gonna strip the cinderella story of all the like the fairy godmother thing and they're like there's no little singing mice or anything it's just what if this was a like treat it like a real story like what if this was something that actually happened and make sort of a a more historical uh i don't know grounded version of that story you know and i think it does a good job of uh you know finding a new approach to a story that's been told like four million times and something that feels distinctive and that's clearly resonated with you know a whole generation of moviegoers especially you know women it's funny that we're we're talking about ever after and then yesterday this is sort of a way sort of off topic a little but it's still 199 like you know mid 90s uh sort of uh, fairy tale story sort of storytelling but I just saw on Twitter yesterday um, a whole thread of people being super excited that a little princess was on Netflix and I was ah. like oh my god we just watched this and everybody's like oh you know play, putting that the, the, I saw somebody put the gif of that scene where she's like oh girls are princesses that kind of thing um, 
And it, it kind of, that just reminded, we're talking about Ever After, and reminded me of that. And, you know, as a, as a boy, as a man, in that I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't introduced to these movies in that same way, and I didn't resonate with me in that same way at that point. Um, but, you know, looking at it now, and like, oh, those are very, they're very positive movies for, especially young women to watch, and um, representation, obviously, is still a big issue. And um, yeah. it's cool to, that they have had films like this that, um, you know, give little girls something to look at that they can see themselves sort of reflected on screen and see uh, strong female characters who have, you know, their own agency and aren't, you know, yeah, maybe they're love stories or whatever, like this one is, but they're not, like, her whole, her whole life is not centered on, on uh, oh, I need a man because that'll solve everything. You know what I mean? It's just part of what her heart desires, that kind of thing. And uh, yeah. I think it's a Little Princess and, and Ever After sort of kind of share that um, strong uh, female like role model for, for little girls. So yeah. good choice. Well, I, uh, well, one thing I want to also add about Ever After and how it's kind of a, um, like you said, a, a, a different take on that story is, you know, Cinderella, the live action was came out a few years ago. And I still don't think that that movie was really that much of a retelling Right. I mean, they've tried to modernize it up a little bit, but it, they still failed. So basically, I mean, they, your point is Ever After is a better live-action Cinderella than the live-action Cinderella that Disney did. Uh, yes, that's correct. I agree with I that. Mean, and I still like Cinderella. It's still a beautiful movie, but you know, she did, was not as empowered as the uh, Drew Barrymore Cinderella but, was. But that, but her dress. Though. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Which got, no, I think hey. what got the uh, Oscar nomination just for that dress, basically, or did it win it? I don't even know if it won. I don't know. Well, Drew Barrymore's out. Cinderella had a beautiful dress on too, and had glitter. I don't know where they got glitter from in the 1600s. Yeah, it's a little bit an- anachronistic, but whatever. Um. Anyway. Okay. Cinderella so 20, now... 2015 or whatever. Cinderella did not win the Oscar for that dress, by the oh. way. I just looked it up because I wanted to know. Um. Yeah. So my number one, obviously, is the Mask of Zorro. Wow, I, I thought it was going to be obviously I knew it was going to be high up, but I know it would be number one. I love that movie. Uh, this is from Martin Campbell, who made, who uh, basically rebooted or you know renovated the Bond franchise with Goldeneye, and then renov- like brought it back again with Casino Royale, uh, and it's a uh, kind of basically a passing the torch story about Zorro uh, being Zorro, who's initially played by Anthony Hopkins, who takes in this, like, young thief, played by Antonio Banderas, and basically grooms him to take up the mantle of Zorro. Um, and, okay, and it, this is starting yeah, to sound like Ant-Man. I can see that. <laughs> it's it's a better it's better movie than Ant-Man, by far, but yeah. Um, and it's interesting because they both have their own personal stories, and there's, so there's two kind of primary story threads that run throughout and intersect, and uh, they're the two main villains that... Both of these these men are, are sort of facing off against, but I feel like it's one of Antonio Banderas's best performances. Uh, the music is amazing. By uh, crap, who does the music? I need to find this out. Um, it, it was Catherine Zeta Jones' breakthrough role, uh, and, and it's, to me, it's just it's one of those films like when you when you think um, blockbuster cinema, when you think like you want to go see an adventure movie, you think of you know maybe some of the Marvel stuff. You think of um, the original Pirates of the Caribbean. So, and of course, I'm thinking of more modern examples because that's what's coming to my head normally. Um, and to me, this is like the perfect example of that, like old, like throwback style adventure tale 
uh, you know, very swashbuckling in a lot of ways with the sword fights, there's people in masks, and it's kind of a period piece, but it also has a very modern sensibility and, you know, kind of marries uh, romance and comedy and uh, adventure and actually has some, like, kind of creepy moments here and there uh, with a little bit of, um, you know, it's just very pure escapism entertainment. And to me, this is probably not only the my favorite movie from 1988 and again you know there's a, there's some that there's a lot that I still haven't seen in 98 and there's some that I saw that didn't care for like for example the big Lebowski I know a lot of people love that movie it's never resonated with me I just find it kind of annoying and over over the top and uh, overrated um, but the mask of Zorro is I don't know it has everything that in a, in a movie that you would want and it actually is one of those films that is well crafted it's not one of those films that you see as a kid and you're like oh this is entertaining because look he's got a sword he's fighting this guy with a sword and he puts a z on his face or whatever it's um it's very it's very intricately uh told and plotted and uh basically like ridiculously high production value all across the board and um, so to me, it's one of those films that you you know I saw as a kid, and as I've continued to watch it as an adult, it just it's still uh, I don't know it's, it stands the test of time, and I think that's to me that's the the true um, sign of uh, a classic film. And I know there's been a billion Zorro movies before this, but uh, the fact that this movie not only is considered probably by you know millennials to be kind of the de facto standard bearer for the Zorro movies, at least of the this last several decades since they made one previously, but that it still has uh, surpassed its own sequel, which is not a very good movie in my opinion. And uh, the fact that they've Hollywood's been trying to bring Zorro back, another brand, like, how about about Zorro, but it's in the future, or something like that. I've heard all kinds what? of ridiculous ideas. Yeah, I've heard all kinds of ridiculous ideas like that in the last several years, and nothing's happened with it. I think that they're like, well, fuck, we gotta like match or exceed the mask of Zorro, and nobody's been able to figure out how to do that. Uh, I think that says a lot. And, you know, the fact that Zorro, and this goes back to the DC Comics back in the day that if you look at the the original Batman stories that movie that they went to see was the Mark of Zorro because in a lot of ways Zorro is basically a period Batman he's a right. arist- he's an aristocrat who dons a secret identity to fight criminals and protect his you know his land and all that so it's very so of course me being a huge Batman fan I'm drawn to Zorro naturally and it's also one of the older superheroes i mean Errol Flynn right was the first Zorro I mean, this was uh, this obviously was before Superman, Zorro before or, Batman. Was he Zorro or Robin Hood, or both? He was both. I believe wow. he was both. Yeah, he was the main man of the of that time. Um, but um, but yeah, no, I just remember seeing it in that in my summer school class, and it was you know it was fun, and that scene where Catherine Zeta Jones and Antonio Banderas' characters are doing the um, fencing or the sword, I guess, the sword fighting was was funny and um and definitely Catherine Zeta Jones was at I think at her height um even though she had just gotten started but you know she was beautiful she was charming she um and that's probably the movie that made Michael Douglas fall in love with her let's be honest here well everybody made Hollywood that, fall were, in love with yeah, her yeah because soon after that they were married and um and yeah and Tony Banderas when he was at his height too and yeah, it's just a it's just a fun movie, and ultimately, yeah, he is a superhero, and it would have been interesting if instead of Antonio Banderas being the one that's getting the torch, 
if it was actually the story of the first sorrow, like um, to kind of see that. But maybe it was similar to the whole Spider-Man thing. They just didn't, maybe they didn't want to retell that again. Maybe Errol Flynn already told the story when he played the part. I don't know. I don't think it was. I, I did research here a minute ago. I don't, I don't think Errol Flynn played Zorro, but oh, there no, was okay. also. But he. But Robin Hood is like basically Zorro in a different kind of outfit, sort of. So <laughs> right. I could see that that there was like. 1920s Zorro, the mask of the Mark of Zorro, Douglas Fairbanks, Tyrone Power played him. I think Guy Hamilton or something. No, I don't even know these people. Yeah, well, that's so like the, like the 40s and and 50s and things like that. But Zorro was huge back in the day, so it's funny that they they brought it back in '98 and it it was such a huge hit. Uh, let's see, it was number 19. They had they had a 1975 one too. Yeah, there's so Jeez. many of them. It's crazy. So yeah, Mask of Zorro, I love that. And uh, and it's, it was number four on your list, right? Yes. Okay, great. So I think it's, and it sounds like it's the only, obviously the only one we're going to have on both of our lists. Yes. So that's, yeah, definitely. And that just makes me want to go watch it now. And James Horner did the music, which is a very memorable score. Uh, and it has some of the best, I think, sword fight scenes uh, in, you know, that I've seen in a, in a movie theater. And I did see that in theaters when it came out. So. Well, one uh, well, one bit of trivia for the Mask of Zorro, or this character of Zorro, is actually came through as the Curse of Capistrano, a 1919 novel that introduced the character of Zorro. Interesting. And then it was republished in 1924 to be the Mask of Zorro. Interesting. Because of the film in of 1920. Right. So there you go. Very cool. So your number one, I have a suspicion. But. Uh, my number one is. Can't hardly wait. I had a feeling. Yes, because I hadn't mentioned it yet. So, of course, that was the one. So, um, explain. So, okay. So, I remember this was one I did see in the movie theaters. There's actually, it looks like there's a running theme here. <laughs> Once I saw the movie theaters seem to be on the list. Well, but, it's, yeah, um, it's like I said, your favorites a lot of times are going to be the ones that you have nostalgic like ties to. Yeah. I saw so, my five in theaters, I think. Which one? I, I've seen all five in the ones on my list. I saw all five of them in theaters during the theatrical run originally. Oh, yeah. Um, so I remember when the trailers came out, like all of us would say, I can't hardly wait, but I can't hardly wait. And it was just something really cheesy yeah. to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I, mean, I was legitimately excited because yeah, it's like the perfect like teen comedy. Um, and this was a year before American Pie which I think was just kind of more gross. It's but fine. Anyway. It's whatever. But Can't Hardly Wait wasn't gross really at all. And, um, of course, hot upcoming actors with Jennifer Love Hewitt. Jamie Presley was in that. I don't think her character even had a name. Um, uh, Peter Facinelli. And that was the first thing I ever saw him in. So I saw him in that before he was in Twilight. And um, Ethan Ethan Embry was in that. Brecken Meyer. Um, Donald Faison. Everybody from... Dujour. <laughs> yeah, Everybody yeah. from Dujour, which obviously the connection there is that um, Harry Elfont and Deborah Kaplan directed both this movie and Josie and the Pussycats, which I feel like now I'm fixated on about uh, between the soundtrack and like the common movie, the commentary of that movie and everything. So that's funny that your number one is their other, the other movie that they direct, wrote and directed <laughs> together. Yeah. No, I just, um, this movie is just really, it's just fun and it's, it has some quotable lines like one of the lines i like is when they're like oh but he's like the hottest he's like the most popular guy in school and then jennifer love hewitt's character says yes and school's over like should you know get us get out of the high school frame of thinking and start thinking about now living the rest of your life because high school really doesn't really matter 
And um, and yeah, I guess that's really ultimately what the movie's about is that yeah, you can be popular in high school or you can be a nerd in high school, you can be beautiful in high school, but after high school, nobody really cares. You just and you can be who you want to be. And um, um, I just think it's, yeah, it's just one of my favorites. And I know I've shown it to you on VHS. Because I didn't have it on DVD at the yeah, time. Yeah, we need. We st- I still don't. Didn't know you buy it? For, I don't. No, I no. think we're gonna have to. Co- we're oh. gonna have to correct that, especially now that it was oh. number one on your list. Yeah, um, and that was a summer. That was definitely the summer of '98 movie. Oh yeah, for uh-huh. sure. Yeah, and uh, it's been it's been parodied, um, like in not another teen movie. They parodied it, and um, yeah, it's just. I think it has a good moral um, story to it, and. What is the for people listening that haven't seen it? What is sort of the. I guess, um, what is the premise? Like, who's the main character and what does it follow? I guess it has, it has a lot of different story story threads, but the marketing really focused on that one kid that has uh, a thing for Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, he really was, like, the main character, but um, it was kind of all of them. Like, Jennifer Love Hewitt was the star. Peter Gaccinelli was the star. He was her ex-boyfriend. Jerry O'Connell actually makes a an appearance yeah sean patrick thomas from save yeah. the last dance like everybody who was in those kinds of movies at that time is in that movie it seems like. except julia styles that's true julia styles was not there yet well yeah. and she was in well if we do a 99 episode i'm sure julia styles will show up there uh, in your top and, five and i also love the character of kenny fisher which is uh played by i can't even believe i forgot to mention this because but played by seth green Oh, we and, mentioned that he was in Dejour. We mentioned Dejour was in this. Yeah, I know, but I didn't. I didn't <laughs> mention his name. Right. And he had one of the bigger. He had a bigger role than Brick and Meyer did. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, he is hilarious as Kenny Fisher. And well, we didn't say his name, did we? We didn't say Seth Green. No, we didn't. You kept saying no. no. You kept saying Kenny Fisher. You haven't said Seth Green. So let's mention. Oh, Seth I didn't Green. say. I didn't say Kenny Fisher. Seth Green is Kenny Fisher. No, I think we just said. Oh, oh and I can't believe I didn't mention Kenny oh, Fisher. Oh, oh, god, sorry, because I'm just assuming that everybody in the world has seen this movie. <laughs> um, yes, Seth Green plays the character of Kenny Fisher, and it's it's he he was the standout in that in that movie for sure, and um, but yeah, it just kind of it's it just follows the the story of. The main teenagers, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Peter Facinelli, Ethan Embry, Kenny Fisher, and uh, Denise, played by Lauren Ambrose, and kind of the, all of them going to this party and all the things that are happening at this at this party. It's it's um and it's interesting because it has a lot of the sort of uh, hallmarks of a teen comedy. Like it's you can see the influence of I guess what would you say the prototypical teen movie is something like Breakfast Club basically a modern teen movie yeah okay we could see that in like all the different like this is the geek and this is the hot girl and this is the jock and this is and this movie yeah. kind of reflects that but it, it takes a little bit of a uh a little bit of a different approach it also for i think what else the other thing is that the whole movie takes place during the one party right yeah pretty, pretty much, much. Yeah. so it's very it's very much it feels like a bottle episode of like a teen it feels like a bottle episode of riverdale or something you know what i mean where all the characters are in one place and it all takes place in one night and everything kind of emotions and everything sort of come to a head and people get wasted and then hijinks ensue and all that stuff. So it's kind of an interesting spin on, uh, you know, what if we took all the characters from all these teen movies and just put them in one place? What would happen? That kind of thing. And that's, you know, I think um, I I need to see it again too, though, because I only saw it the one time 
as you mentioned on VHS several years ago and I forget I guess I had the VC I have still have a VCR somewhere right we had to like, <laughs> yeah, take that out of mothballs and like yeah, oh, take this exactly up. But or we can just buy it on Amazon for like five bucks. Yeah, it's like four dollars or something. Right. Yeah, that's right. With those other movies. But yep. So that's been one of my favorites. And I remember even leaving the movie theater and like the next morning telling my sister about it. I'm like, you got to see this movie. Did she ever see and, it? Yeah, I think she did. And I'm like, she's she's like, yeah, it was cute. And I think for me, I really liked Ethan Embry's character. I thought he was. Um, I thought the character was adorable. But now I have. Is he a, the one that likes like, Jennifer Love Hewitt? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now that I'm older, I have more of appreciation for Kenny. Fisher, uh, Seth Green he's character. Like, he's like the horn dog of the movie, isn't he? Yeah, and he just like, like I like the gross guy. No, it wasn't. No, it's just because he, like, basically he, he, like, one of the lines of the movie is she, Denise, uh, Lauren Ambrose's character looks at him. And she says, "Look in the mirror. You're white." Like he was definitely um, cultural appropriating. The uh-huh. uh, black, the black culture, right? And it's just absolutely ridiculous to watch it, um, but in a fun way. So, very cool. So, to recap our top fives, do you have the list in front of you still? You want to just run through? I do. All yeah. Right, let me let me do that. I, ha- I kind of cleaned up my list. Oh, so I had for number five. There's something about Mary. Number four, Blade. Number three, The Prince of Egypt. Number two, The Truman Show. And number one, The Mask of Zorro. Okay, and for me, my number five was Urban Legend, Mask of Zorro, The Wedding Singer, Ever After, and Can't Hardly Wait. So those are our top fives of 98. Uh, as we said, these are totally subject, uh, totally subjective. <laughs> I know uh, a lot of people will not would not have Mask of Zorro anywhere near their top five. It, like I said, it'd probably be a lot of uh, Big Lebowski, Saving Private Ryan, uh, Rushmore, that kind of thing. Let's see, other ones that I saw in 98 that I really liked that I haven't mentioned yet. Uh, Mulan, uh, Enemy of the State, I liked a lot. Have you seen that? I never showed no. you that, right? Tony mm-hmm. Scott directed Will Smith thriller with uh, Gene Hackman. Um, I also really liked uh, Small Soldiers. I liked it at the time. Didn't uh, see that either. Freddie really liked that. I need to show you that. I think it used to be on Netflix. I think it might still be. Um, Freddie really liked that a lot at the time. So, you know, we had he had the toys and uh, we played the video game a lot on playstation original playstation back in the day also pleasantville is, is a good movie uh directed mm-hmm. by gary ross so there's there was a few other like beyond honorable mentions like my 11 through 15s i guess would some be some of those uh i'm kind of surprised you didn't at least even mention spice world even though i know that that, oh was sort my of a, God. that was sort of a guilty pleasure for you at one point yeah no <laughs> Not, i knew it was terrible i like the soundtrack better than the movie it's guiltier than you thought than uh it's it's more guilty than pleasure, I guess. At this point, you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't even mention it. Yeah. So. Well. All right, I think that's uh, that's pretty much all we have for this episode. This was fun, so maybe we can try and do this again another time at some point, either in '97 or '99. Uh, it'll be interesting to do all of our high school years, so like '97 through 2001, um, little by little, just to kind of run through and and uh, you know bask in uh, the glory of our younger days as we're now in our mid-30s officially yep. so that's all we have for now if you like what we're doing here please consider contributing to our patreon page at patreon.com slash crooked table you can also rate and review the crooked table podcast on itunes to help others find the show find me robert Yannis jr on twitter at crooked table 
And uh, you can find me, Kai Yanez, on uh, Twitter at Bulky LLC. You can also find me on YouTube under Kai Yanez for some uh, weekly inspirations. Of course, you can find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at CrookedTable.com. Until next episode, I've been Rob. And I'm Kai. We'll catch you around the table next week. Roll credits. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-O-K-E-D. <laughs>